church, Matthew chapter 5, verse 21 is where we are beginning, and here's the map for the day. We are going to do a cannonball jump right into the text and read it, and then we're going to get up to a high level and just really look at the context of where Jesus is teaching, uh, just what's going on, because there's a lot of information before and after that feed into the weight of this, and then we'll press into it verse by verse. And again, this morning's subject matter, we're talking about anger. Anybody have anger issues? Every hand in the room should go up. To one degree or another, we all know the emotion of anger. It's a very familiar emotion for us. Some of you have a hot temper. Some of you have a low temper just in your natural personality. But all of us have sinned in this area. And Jesus puts us in a corner and reveals that sin to us. But there is a way out, there is a way to live in righteousness and in gentleness with those around us, with our hearts and our mouths. So here we go. Matthew 5, 21 says, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder. And whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you, that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, Leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Agree with your adversary quickly while you are on the way with him, lest your adversary deliver you to the judge and the judge hand you over to the officer and you be thrown into prison. Surely I say to you, you will by no means get out of there till you have paid the last penny. All right, now spring up to a high level. So Jesus is communicating to each one of us repentance. Repentance is a change of mind. As you sit in your own life and your own temper and those things that well up in you, regardless if you're justified and righteous in your anger or you're just being in your flesh and you're in the pit of sin in that moment of anger, Jesus is communicating to us. He is there to help us transform and change how we respond to our life. And that response that we have into life, it's not just to life circumstances, it's to people and it's to God. As we sit in this morning, we're going to look not just at your anger that you have towards other people, but maybe you have some root anger towards God because God hasn't been who you think he ought to be in some circumstances in your life, and we'll press into that. But this idea of repentance, there is a change and a transformation in the way we think as we turn to the Lord, and he's revealing to us what his kingdom is all about. As he begins this Sermon on the Mount, he listed out all these different character attributes that he is promising to fulfill, to bring about as he sanctifies us in our relationship with him. And these are also characteristics that we need to intentionally pursue. So as we talk about anger, 
the, the subject matter that Jesus has gotten to in his sermon, if you back up to the beginning of his message, he's already talked about humility. He's talked about mercy and compassion. He's talked about having a, this innate desire within for righteousness in you and in the circumstance in the moment. He's talked about uh, being meek, so being humble and being gentle and kind. So when you have those kind of characteristics built into you in your relationship with the Lord as he's transforming you over time, when you start sitting in the singular emotion of anger, it has a transformation process and how you process through the anger of the moment is what he's getting at. But at the same time, at the end of um, the, the Beatitudes, uh, the blessed are the peacemakers, you know, we need to seek to be, bring about peace in the circumstances, the, the relationships that we're involved with, not just helping seek to bring, bring peace in other people's circumstances. But then he said at the very end, the blessed are you when you were persecuted for righteousness sake. Now just sit in the emotion. If you have ever been attacked verbally, by anybody, directly or indirectly, what emotion wells up in you? Do you not want to respond in like kind naturally? Like you want to get back. If somebody assaults you with words, our flesh response is to assault back with words. My personality, you back me into a corner, I don't flight, I fight. I come out swinging and I come out fighting just my natural flesh man, and I have to have that natural flesh harnessed by the Lord that, I, that I, I've lost it with my mouth before. I still lose it with my mouth occasionally, but over time the Lord has sanctified not just the words that escape my mouth, but he sanctified the roots of my heart and what I'm turning on. So as he's dealing with our, the character that he is seeking to, to develop within each one of us. He defines, he gives a definition for each one of us in the influence that we're to have in this world, and that is salt and light. So as you are processing through the emotion of anger in your life, Jesus is sending you into the circumstance to add the right salt, to add the right flavor to the moment, not to bring bitterness and further agitation, but to be that peacemaker, to bring in his light to the moment, not to bring in the darkness of your heart and your flesh and what Whatever you have going on is you want to explode at whatever the circumstance is. So he's worked on our character. He's defined who we are in this culture. And then he's pressed into this definition of what true righteousness is. And true righteousness is living a life of absolute perfection in obedience to the commands of God, which none of us are capable of doing. Therefore, our righteousness is not in the works of the law, but our righteousness comes by faith in Jesus Christ. So now with all of that as background, now you press into his teaching. If you've heard it said, Who's the guy that said, well, God's the God that commanded uh, Moses to write and, uh, and communicate this to the children of Israel. But this is a, you shall not murder. It's one of the Ten Commandments. So as Moses is up on, the, up on Mount Sinai, after the Jews have been delivered out of Egypt, there Moses is on Mount Sinai alone with God, and God is the one who pins these tablets of stone with his own finger. And this is one of the commands that God writes down. 
So pretty important command, right? Written by the very finger of God. Like this isn't something that we're going to back away from. We're going to press into it and know and understand. And we can say that every human being, it's just, it's known to everybody that taking life is wrong. Murder is wrong. But the guy who's communicating this to the culture, to the Jews is Moses. Does everybody know that Moses is a condemned guilty murderer? So Moses is 40 years old living underneath the umbrella and authority of the Egypts in that household as he was adopted into Pharaoh's household. And he is walking down the street and he witnesses a Jew being beat by an Egyptian. Moses looks this way and he looks that way and he looks behind him and he premeditatively kills the Egyptian. And then he buries that man in the sand. And then he's afraid for his life, and this is what sends him out into the desert for 40 years. That murderer is the man that God chose to go and be that voice to deliver his people from Egypt, to be that voice known as the lawgiver in the culture. So again, here's, here's the, where the command is coming from. It's coming from God. God is the initiator and creator of life. We are not to take life because God is... Uh, the author of it, and we are to image his life back to him. So if you take another life, you're guilty of violating that image. It's a great big no-no. Now, as we look throughout the room, all of us can sit back in great confidence and great righteousness. More than likely, somebody in here may have actually killed somebody. Um, Forgivable sin in Christ, right? Um, But none of us have ever killed somebody, right? And don't raise your hand if you had, because that'll be awkward. Um... Focus. Um, so Jesus, in all of these teachings, so he's, he's focused in on righteousness. He is the fulfillment of the law. All the law and the prophets are fulfilled in him. Everything that is waiting to be fulfilled is going to be fulfilled in him. He is the author of the law himself as God. He is the finisher and the completer of the law. He will fulfill it all um, because that's who he is. That's that definition. Now he's, he's communicating, here's what you've heard taught from others in ancient times. But I say to you that if you have anger towards somebody, you are just as much in danger of judgment as the individual who murders somebody. Now, Jesus is not linking and saying that murder and anger are one and the same. Clearly, murder is a greater sin than anger. But what he is linking and what he is getting at, he's getting at the heart of the matter. Murder does not occur outside of anger. There is an emotion. So our culture in 2019, there were like 16,000 murders in our nation, whatever COVID did in 2020. I think it's 2020. Maybe it was in 2021. Murders increased by 30% just in our own culture. And we can sit in that statistic ought to increase because as a culture in general, do we have more agitation in our culture? People are, they're angry. There's the circumstances of life. And when those circumstances of life happen, people lash out. Uh, We have a very unhealthy fascination with like serial killer documentaries and murder stories. They, They always dominate the news because they're tragic and they're horrific and all of us want to stop and look at the train wreck that just happened. But again, every single one of those articles, every single one of those statistics, every single one of those acts of violence and murder has began in somebody's life in 
anger. I read an article a couple of weeks ago, a girl's failing out of college, hiding it from her parents. Her mom finds out she's on the phone with the school. The daughter hits her in the head with a frying pan and stabs her 30 times and kills her mom. Now, did that moment just happen? Or was there a lot of buildup in that young lady's life to get to that point? And that's what Jesus is getting at. If you have anger, if you are harvesting and, and, and living in and abiding this, in this prison of anger in your own soul, directed at a spouse, directed at a child, directed at a culture, directed at God, there is something that is eating away at your peace, at your gentleness at your humility, at your righteousness, all these beatitudes that we are to pursue in Christ, your anger is eating those things away because what you focus on is what is becoming big in your soul. So again, this is not just dealing with this moment of like a flashpoint. Yes, we all have flashpoints. We grow and mature in those flashpoints. I've had, I got a flashpoint. I got screws and plates in my hand because I had a flashpoint in an argument with my wife. I am not a violent man. I am not an explosive man. We had this one argument one time where it was explosive and yelling. She turns away from me and I turn and I punch a door and it answered me instantly my anger was gone because I was stupid and I was caught in my sin. And then I had to go through the surgery and I'm on staff at a church at the time and I've got to publicly wear that. What'd you do to your hand, Blake? Well, I was an idiot and the nurse told me I should have punched a pillow rather than a solid wood door. I was not in my right mind. That's one instance of anger. For me, like my own personal testimony, I didn't realize how dark my, I knew how dark my soul was before I came to Jesus. And I thought I was cleaned up and doing well and living it. I'm 27 years old. My wife has just given birth to our twins. Asher was hers at night. Eli is mine at night. The first four months, do children sleep through the night? By the way, my little punching the door instant was because of a stupid youth lock in for New Year's Eve. I hadn't slept, so my lack of sleep impacted my psychology. It's the same thing, like my lack of sleep as I'm taking care of Eli at night. Here you have this innocent child in this innocent life, and I was thinking angry and violent thoughts at this innocent, precious life just because I want sleep. And I can't, you know, what, does he need a diaper change? Does he need food? Does he got a burp? What's going on here? Go to sleep. And I'm raging on the inside. And the Holy Spirit is speaking to me like, Blake, don't cross the line, right? You can see how people cross those lines of violence towards their children. And I just, you know, it's a brokenness moment for me that how is it possible that I have repented and turned from my sins? And I can still find that kind of darkness in my soul and hatred towards my child just because I'm not getting sleep and he's not doing what I want him to do. That was, that was horrific for me. And it woke me up into my own anger. But I mentioned before, you know, I have the excuses. When I had hair a long time ago, it was red. And that means I'm Irish. I got some Irish in me. I got some Viking in me. So I can justify my anger based upon my genetics, right? There's, there's, there's no excuses in this at all. Those are the anger for me. Um, last example that I want to give, and again, these are, these are like three really big 
events in, in my own walk with the Lord where he's exposed me to myself and I've had to come back to him for cleansing, for forgiveness, for the right path forward and the change of mind and transformation in my soul. And all three of these have had major impacts in how I continue to live today. The last one is how I was being treated when Julie and I were leaving our church in Salt Lake. So I'm on staff at the church in Salt Lake I am, the Lord has very clearly given Julie and I uh, direction and what we're to do. And I was super nervous in communicating that to my pastor because I knew the cost of what that communication was going to be. Uh, so nervous to the extent my pastor later told me that uh, when I entered into this conversation with him, he thought I was going to confess adultery or something because I was so nervous because I knew that this was going to be a cost. So I communicated to him that I believe that the Lord was calling Julie and I out of our congregation there. And all of those events of, are what funneled us here. But how my pastor treated me over the months of us leaving, he was hurt. And it was a cost to him for both Julie and I to leave the ministry there. And how he responded to us was not how a pastor should respond at all. And he knew it. And there was a multi, that was in 2000, that was in March of 2011. I became the pastor here in 2014. I don't know, I don't remember if it was 2014 or 2015. We were at the pastor leader conference in Stone Mountain. And I had had these emotions over time for how he treated me. I had a lot of anger towards him because I wasn't seeking to do anything for myself. I wasn't seeking to have a name for myself. I wasn't seeking to build a kingdom for myself. All I was seeking to do was follow the Lord's direction in my life. And he was being my adversary. God had communicated to me the night before I went in and talked to him. Uh, it was one of those almost audible moments with God where he, God was telling me that Terry is not your enemy. And I had to hold on to that word that God gave me for the next few years to constantly remind myself, Terry is not my enemy. Yeah, he's responding in his flesh. The Lord is my avenger. But there are multiple times in that scenario where he'd do something, he'd say something, the rumor mill would come back to me of things that he said behind my back. And I had, I had fun fantasies of violently beating him up. And that's, just so you know, that's, I've never been in a fight in my life. That's not my personality. Um, that's just, I'm a happy-go-lucky guy. I really love people. Um, I'm just, that's not who I am at all. But as I'm processing through those emotions, I'm constantly rolling that emotion to the Lord to change me and transform me. Sitting in that conference, I, can, I remember being in the sanctuary. I don't remember, I don't know if it's in between like sessions or something, but I open up my email, flipping through emails, and there's an email from my pastor in Salt Lake apologizing. And I just broke because it was a release out of the cage that I had myself in. I knew not to let him identify me. I knew not to let these emotions... Um, uh, impact my daily, and they weren't impacting my daily life, but every time I thought about him, every time he came up in conversation, it was just a fun fantasy to beat him up. But the moment I got, but the moment we were reconciled, gone. So I did, like I said, I don't remember if it was 24, 2014, 2015. I've been back there to teach a couple of times. Julie and I were just there this summer. 
our relationships restored. It's fixed. It's healed. One, because I was on one side of that, processing, not throwing grenades, not responding in like kind, but trying to live out my walk in obedience to the Lord in the midst of what I felt was unjust judgment. Having conversations with him, but having this moment where he was convicted down the road and came back and sought reconciliation, our relationship has been reconciled the whole time. I bring these three examples up because these are, these are memorial stones in my own soul, in my own life, for how the Lord has matured me in him and how he has helped me process through emotions that were difficult for me. Um, as I, if you talk to my parents, I was a really easy kid, right, mom? Easy kid, responded, disciplined well. Again, happy-go-lucky by personality. But when I became an adult, as I got married, you step into career, you start having kids, I start feeling those pressures. As I started getting boxed in and feeling pressure, something in me responds aggressively. I'll lash out with my mouth quick. I'll respond in a flash, but then it's gone in a flash. But this is something that I know about me, and it's something that I need bridled in the Lord every single day. Um, because I can be really stern, I can be really aggressive, but Lord, be a guard over my mouth that the anger that I have, Lord, that uh, it's not this true boiling anger that is bringing about, that would bring about in my soul murder. The thoughts that I was having about my pastor in Salt Lake about violence toward him, absolutely 100% wrong. I knew it while I was doing it. The Holy, speaking to, Holy Spirit speaking to me while I'm doing it. And I knew to continue to roll those things over to, to him. But again, he is the one who gave me freedom. But as you look at what Jesus is saying, this, this the root of the matter of if you're angry with your brother, the without a cause, uh, so, it's in some translations, it's not in other manuscripts. Either way, it's true. We watch Jesus in righteous anger. We can have righteous anger. We are told if you are angry, don't let the sun go down on your anger. You can be angry, but don't sin in your anger. Um, there's just some healthy ways to process through what is righteous anger versus selfish and fleshly anger. But he uses these two words, raka and you fool. Um, you know, when you, when you go and study the Greek, you're expecting something to be like a really harsh, like these words must just be totally cussing somebody out in the Greek, right? And they're not. The word for raka just means you're, you're a numbskull. You know, you're, 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 you're thick-headed, you're empty-headed, you're stupid. That's what the word is. Anybody guilty of saying that somebody's stupid? That's what I thought. The word for fool, just it, it, uh, the Greek word is where we get moron from. Moron. Anybody while driving in Atlanta traffic? <laughs> Idiot! I'm saying that for you because I'm a, I'm a good driver. For the most part, I don't do that. But every single one of us is guilty of these words, Right? So this is, this is what Jesus is linking. He says, if you commit physical murder, which we all know is an absolute violation of the creator and of the creator's will, and you are bound to judgment, which is going to bring about judgment or uh, justice, righteous judgment for murder is execution according to the word of God. 
And now he's linking anger in your heart, lashing out with your mouth. You are in danger. You are bound to the exact same righteous, just judgment in regards to what's going on in the inside and the words that escape out of your mouth. Jesus tells us every single idle word that we speak. I don't know. We're, we're going to talk about it at the end, judgment seat of Christ, but uh, turn really quick to James. Um, I don't know what that conversation is going to look like because Jesus is our Savior. We can't wait to see him face to face. But we are told that there is the Bema seat judgment of Christ, the works that we do, the words that come out of our mouth. There is reward and consequence. I have no idea what all that looks out. It's going to be good, but ultimately, what do we all want to hear out of our Savior's mouth? Well done, good and faithful servant. But this danger, the danger is, again, it's rooted in our heart and how we process through our life circumstances. And again, these circumstances are linked to people in your life. There are some people that you have in your life right now that if I said their name, it would bring up a trigger for you and you would immediately be churning through everything that they've done to you and how you want to get back at them. These are emotions that are not healthy for you they're not healthy in your relationship with God. I mentioned before, some of you can have anger at God for not being who you think that he ought to be, for not doing what you think he ought to do, for allowing a particular circumstance in your life. The anger and the words that you may be internalizing and meditating on and that may be escaping your mouth could be directed at your own relationship with God. And the, the warning is that there's a judgment associated with that. With our tongue, we, got it. we have to come to James because nobody can say it better. James chapter 3, we're going to read through the whole chapter. I'll keep my comments short. My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man. Again, what Jesus is teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, he's getting to, you shall be perfect because your Father in heaven is perfect. If you don't stumble with your mouth, he's a perfect man. God, help us from stumbling with our mouth. Able also to bridle the whole body indeed. We put bits in, a horse, in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their, their whole body. Look also at ships. Although they are so large and driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue, this little piece of meat we have in our mouths, is a little member and boasts. It's a braggart of great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature. And it is set on fire by hell, by Gehenna. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and creature of the sea, is tamed, what does that say? Does that say is tamed in his, anyways, I've written over it. There you go, it's been tamed by mankind, but no man can tame the tongue. 
It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our God and Father. With it, we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. And all of us know this. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Thus, no spring yields both salt water and fresh. Who is wise and understanding among you? Here's, here's the exhortation. Let him show by what's, what's the transformation in your relationship with the Lord internally. Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. Boy, do we need his wisdom in the moments of anger. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, I cannot read. Confusion and every evil thing are there. But the... Uh, but the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in the peace of in, is sown in peace by those who make peace. Again, as you sit with James, who is the half-brother of Jesus, he's clearly pressed into the narrative and the message of Christ in his gospel, sitting in how he is encouraging the church in regards to their tongues, our tongues. As we turn back to Jesus' instruction, again, there's this warning of, of what we have going on in the inside. Don't think that you're safe from judgment just because you haven't physically murdered somebody. You're in danger of judgment and of the counsel. And he uses of hellfire there. So that same word for uh, the tongue is set on fire by hell. It's the same word here. And the visual illustration for the culture in Jerusalem to the south is a valley that's called the Valley of the Son of Hinnom. It, this is the Gehenna Valley. Um, it is notorious for idolatry, uh, idolatrous worship and the history of Israel. Um, this is where child sacrifices were being performed is in this valley. So that's what it's linked to. And then the day that Jesus is preaching, this was the dump. This is where the garbage was taken out. Uh, this is the valley gate uh, leading out of Jerusalem. You take the trash out of the valley gate, you go throw on this eternally forever burning stack of trash. And that imagery is what Jesus is trying to convey in regards to the anger that we have towards other people. Now, as we shift into the rest of this, I think I would think that Jesus would push into the conversation about what other people did is wrong that is bringing about my anger, and he totally shifts it and brings it right back to my own heart and right back to your heart. He says, therefore, if you bring your gift, your offering to the altar, and there you remember your brother has something against you, wait a minute. I'm angry because I, they did something to me. 
I'm not angry because I've done something to them. And again, Jesus is getting right back to our heart. He's leaving us without excuses in this conversation. This whole idea, remember Jesus is teaching. He is all the way in Galilee while he's teaching this. I don't remember how long it takes to walk to Jerusalem. It's a long walk, days. When you travel to Jerusalem, you're going down there for feast days. On the feast days, you are presenting a gift. You are presenting an offering uh, that's required according to the law. So Jesus is talking to a bunch of Galileans that are sitting on the hillside of Galilee, saying, when you go all the way to Jerusalem with your gift, and there you are at the altar offering your gift, and you remember that somebody has something against you, he says, leave your offer, offering. Go all the way back home and go have a conversation and seek to be reconciled. Then come all the way back and offer your gift. I want you to, I want you to see the bouncing back and forth because again, the culture of the day would feel the extreme. We often don't want to be reconciled with others because it's difficult. Some of you are really good at confrontation. You know how to manage the conversation. You know how to stay gentle in the conversation. I told you before, I feel like I get backed into the corner. I want to be self-defensive. I want to give you all the reasons why I'm justified for the way that I feel. Yeah, I'm owning this, but you do this, this, and this, and this, and that's why I'm doing it, right? Leave all of that aside and cast all of that away. And if you know that somebody is, they're feasting on their own flesh in regards to you, Jesus, and again, these are imperatives. You, you leave your gift at the altar. Stop your conversation with God. Stop your religious behavior and go and be reconciled with a human being who is, who has something with you. And in, in what Jesus is presenting, what they have against you, it's legitimate. There's a legitimate grudge. There's a legitimate cause of what they have against you. And when you know, when you have that awareness in life, all of us, we need to humble ourselves. We need to be clothed in the mercy of God. We need to ask God for discernment and wisdom in those circumstances and go and seek to be reconciled with the individual. Hey, let's have a conversation. I know that this is what I did. Let's talk through this. Let's work through this in the Lord. And again, the context here is with your brother. But then he shifts into the conversation. It's not just with the brother or sister, somebody that you have a close relationship with in the Lord. He's now saying if, some, if your enemy, your adversary, your accuser is dragging you to the judge, he's saying while you're on the way, make friends with your accuser. Seek to bring about some kind of reconciliation, some kind of peace without escalating the moment. We all need to look to the Lord in these, in these moments of where you may be sitting in the moment of flash anger. God, help me in the motion. Give me clarity. Be a guard over my mouth. Help me to say the right things. And maybe something that this is a deep-seated thing that you have going on and a painful relationship with you, and it's been going on for years, and God, I need freedom here. May he give you the wisdom in those, in those relationships. This, just so you know, this is not um, demonstrate wisdom and caution and how this is applied in your life. 
You don't put yourself in the position and putting yourself under the power of somebody who is going to do you further harm physically, psychologically, spiritually, emotionally. Have wisdom in this. But as much as it has to do with you and the thoughts that are going on in your heart and the circumstances of anger where you are lashing out, first have that courage to have that conversation with God. Be reconciled with God first. Go to him in prayer. If your anger is at God, wrestle with him. Work that out. Figure out for yourself that foundation of do you know who your creator is? Do you know that he's good? Do you know that he's kind? Do you know that he's merciful? Do you know that he's compassionate? Do you know that he's righteous? Do you know that he's just? Do you know that he's gentle? You start meditating on his character. You feel my voice just chill out a little bit your spirit will chill out. And then you take that prince of peace with you into whatever the conversation may need to be with the other human being. Realizing that to be reconciled with that human being can be costly for you. It can be embarrassing. It can be public. It could be belittling. It could, there could be all these lists of reasons that you have right now why you don't want to be obedient to Jesus in living out that reconciliation because it's going to be a hard journey. It's going to take you a long time to walk back. It's going to take you a long time to now come back to the altar and get back into your service. Does that make sense, that imagery? It may take a season. It may be a day, it might be a week, it might be a month, it might be a decade. You keep rolling those emotions to the Lord until he gives you that true freedom. We're going to end here. Worship team, come on up. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. This is one of those things that's super practical in our life. We could go through a hundred different examples. Um... There is no other way out of this sin and this cage in your life other than faith in Jesus Christ. If you, want, if you, if you are struggling with anger, if you are struggling with a circumstance, if you are struggling with a person, your only right way out is to begin with a conversation with your Savior. Your way out is to begin in your own confession, working out that circumstance in your own soul, making sure that your faith is on the firm foundation of him. And then we, pro we proceed into this seeking to be reconciled with the others in our life. If that's easy, it's easy. If it's hard, it's hard. Do it anyways. Listen to this language. 2 Corinthians Paul is seeking to be reconciled with the Corinthians. He's got a hard relationship going on with them, and he is going to show up in their community, and he's making sure that him and them, that they are ready to have the conversation that they are going to have when he shows up. So Paul is saying a lot of hard words, seeking to be reconciled in the moment. In chapter 5, he talks about this judgment seat of Christ. 
that, uh, that whatever that we have done, whether it's good or bad, that we are all going to appear before his judgment seat. In verse 14, he talks about it's the love of Christ that compels us. It's the love of Christ that compels me to him. It's the love of Christ that compels me to love you and to seek to follow out these very hard commands. He died for all. We're all living in him. He hits this therefore statement in chapter 5, verse 17. If anyone is in Christ, listen to this, you are a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. As we said, just sit in the idea of anger and the lashing out. You're a new creation in Christ. You're no longer that old person. You're not owned by that. You're not defined by that. Nobody owns you but Jesus. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry, the service of reconciliation. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself not imputing, not, uh, not uh, reckoning their trespasses, their sins, their errors, their faults, their crimes. He has committed to, to us the word of reconciliation. He's not given us the word of hatred. He has not given us the word of judgment. He has placed into our souls and into our mouths the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Jesus' behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Everybody, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, I want you to come up and grab communion. Hold on to it. We are going to pray together. If you are not a believer in Jesus Christ, don't let anything hold you back from that conversation right now. You talk to God. You look to him for cleansing, for hope, and for that way forward in your life. So church, come on up and grab communion. Hold on to it, and we'll take it together.